Good morning. <laughs> we got one good morning. So. So. All right. Uh, this week we're going to continue our series on the gospel and Monday morning. And this morning we're going to be looking at uh, marriages. And we want to see how the gospel affects our marriages. And what should, our, what should make our marriages different than anybody else's marriage because we're Christians and we have this gospel? And what are these attitudes that should reflect our marriage. And so, why don't we pray before we begin. Father God, we come before you now, and we just ask that you'll be with us, Lord. We want to understand your gospel this morning. We want to understand how your gospel affects our marriages, Lord, that we might have those marriages that you desire us to have. That people might look at us and they might see you in our marriages. That it might be a reflection of you and the church. That it might be a reflection of the gospel itself. So we pray that you'll be with us this morning, Holy Spirit. I pray that you'll use my words. I pray that you'll open our minds and our hearts that we might receive this, Lord. This is such an important thing, Lord, for those who are married and for those who are not married but may be married, Lord. And we just pray, Lord, this morning that you'll be with us. In your name, amen. So we're reading from Ephesians, and we're going to be reading in Ephesians chapter 5. But, uh, and this is obviously in the middle of a book, and since we're doing this series as this, we're not going through the whole book, but chapter 4 uh, says this. He, Paul is talking, and he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So he encourages us to walk this way. And chapter 5 and chapter 6 of Ephesians talks about um, how we are to walk. And he talks about different relationships. And one of them is husbands and wives. Another one is parents and children. Another one is masters and bondservants and in today's day and age, we can probably think of that as the workplace, as bosses and, and employees. All of these relationships have a certain order that's built into them. And they all have specific roles that are in them. And God wants us to know uh, how they operate the best. And God has designed marriage to work in a certain way. And if we operate in a way that's contrary to God's way, we will have difficulties in our marriages. God has assigned different roles to husbands and to wives. And if we change those roles, either through abusing them or abandoning them, then we're going to have struggles. We're going to have strife within our marriage. And God has given us attitudes to have. And if we have different attitudes, if we have selfish attitudes, there will be much, much pain in our marriages. So let's look at the passage. It's Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 22 through 33. He says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit it everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church 
and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and to the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Do you see how tied in this whole passage is to Christ and the church, to the gospel? Christ wants us to follow this example. Christ is referred to either by his name or a pronoun 12 times in this short passage. The church is mentioned 10 times in this short passage. So clearly, if we're to understand our marriage from a gospel perspective, we need to understand the church, Christ, and this relationship that is, mean, that is there. So as we work through this passage, we're going to be looking at these things at the same time as we work, as we work through it. So the passage begins with wives, so we're going to begin with wives. The first section says wives should submit to their husbands. And as we work through this, we're going to look at, basically march through it in four different things. We're going to look at what does it mean to submit? What does it mean to submit as to the Lord? What does it mean to submit as the church submits to Christ? And then we're going to look at some objections or some difficulties in submitting uh, to your husbands. So first of all, what does it mean to submit? And for this, we have an overhead. And this is from a book called 50 Crucial Questions, an Overview of Central Concerns About Manhood and Womanhood. Uh, It's a booklet about what a book is. Anyway, it's by John Piper and, and Wayne Grudem. But here's their definition of submission. They say this. Submission refers to a wife's divine calling to honor and to affirm her husband's leadership and to help carry it through according to her gifts. It is not an absolute surrender of her will. Rather, we speak of her disposition to yield to her husband's guidance and her inclination to follow his leadership. Christ is her absolute authority, not the husband. She submits out of reverence for Christ. The supreme authority of Christ qualifies the authority of her husband. She should never follow her husband into sin. So that's our definition of submission. Some people have taken submission and they have confused it with being a doormat, with not doing anything, simply to, uh, whatever the word is, just bend over backwards always. But is that what he's saying? Is is to submit just to be a doormat and to do nothing? And the, the answer is not at all. It's not, it's not at all that. If we go back to Genesis 2 and we look where God created man and woman in the first place, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So if in the role the wife is to be the helper, does it help to say nothing? Does it help to do nothing? If you see that your husband is about to make a mistake and you do nothing and you say nothing, is that helping your husband 
your marriage, your family, or your life? The answer is no. If he's made a mistake to do nothing when you could help him, does that help at all? Does it, the answer is no. It is not to be a doormat. We have all been given gifts. And women have been given gifts and are to use these gifts in the home, in the church, at work, at life, wherever you, God puts you to use these gifts. And part of it is in this marriage. So to understand submission just a little bit better, we want to look at Christ as being part of the Trinity. We just want to take a look at that because that's going to help some. Christ is God, right? And God is called the Trinity. So the Trinity is three it's the Father, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They are all of one nature. Three distinct people of one nature. All right, did you get that? <laughs> did you understand that? <laughs> we don't really quite understand it. And if you don't quite understand it, that's kind of normal. It's one of these great mysteries of God. And he just says it. How can God be three persons, yet be one nature? We don't understand it. So it's, it's one of those great mysteries. But we do know these facts. God is one, and yet there's three to God. And so we know this. We know that each person in the Trinity is equal. Each one in the Trinity is equal. They are all God. There is no lesser. There is no greater. But each of these, we also know, has a different role. And we know that these different roles are, are voluntary. In these different roles, there's a voluntary submission. The Father is the head, and the Son voluntarily submits to the Father's leadership role. To the Father he submits. The Holy Spirit submits both to the Father and also to the Son. And so this understanding of the, of the Trinity is going to help because it's going to understand our marriages as well. Because we are made in the image of God, and therefore our marriages will be after the image of God. And so in our marriages, just like the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are equal, both the husband and the wife are equal. As the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit have different roles, so both the husband and the wife will have different roles. And just as the Son voluntarily submits to the Father, and the Holy Spirit voluntarily submits to both the, the Holy Spirit, both to the Father and to the Son, the husband voluntarily submits to Christ, and the wife voluntarily submits to the husband. Verse 22 says, you are to submit as if you are submitting to the Lord himself. You are to submit as if you are submitting to the Lord himself. And this is to be the attitude. It is to be a humble attitude, a willing attitude, and a joyful attitude. You're submitting to God himself. Which means that when you submit to your husband's leadership, you, in actuality, submit to God himself. How does that work out? Because it just seems funny. We can kind of get another insight into this as David, right? David sinned, the king, king David, King David sinned against Bathsheba, had adultery with her. To cover it up, he murdered Bathsheba's wife, husband. And then in Psalm 51, David confesses his sin. And he says, I have sinned against you and you alone, he says to God. But to us it appears that he sinned against Bathsheba, sins against Uriah, but he says, against you, God, I have sinned. And as we looked at that, God told David not to commit adultery. And David committed adultery. Therefore, 
David sinned in disobeying against God. God told David, do not commit murder. David committed murder, therefore he sinned against God. That's how we can say, my sin is against God. And so in this way, God tells wives to submit to their husbands as if they were submitting to God. And so if you don't submit, you disobey what God says, and then you sin against God. But if you do submit, you are obeying what God has said. And God has made it clear that if you obey God, that he will reward you. Verse 24 says that the way, to submit to, the way to submit is the same way that the church submits to Christ. So we have to ask ourselves, how does the church submit to Christ? And again, it's a willing submission. It's that humble submission. It's that joyful submission. Because we are the church, right? The church is the body of believers. We at King of Grace are part of that church. And we have the whole church universal. And think about how we speak of Christ. Think about how we talk about the gospel. It's not coerced. It's not forced. It's something that we do, right? You know, they heard the stories of the Crusades, right? The Crusades would go out, and they would try to get converts, and they would, if you wouldn't confess, they would torture you. And they would sometimes, you know, kill you after that. Well, we don't do that at King of Grace, right? We don't torture anybody if you don't confess God. We don't. That's right. We don't put you to death if you don't say that Jesus is Lord, right? It's it's completely willing. And here's this picture of husbands and wives, and God is saying it's the same way. It's as if it is towards towards God himself. Um, The next just point in this is, is found in verse 33. And Paul sums up this section on husbands and wives. And when he addresses the wives, instead of using the word submission again, he uses the word respect. He says, wives, respect your husband. To submit is to respect. It is, show, it is to show respect to the roles and the leadership and the authority that God has set into place. And I can tell you this, men are made to respond to your respect. And if you want to build your husband up, show him respect in any way that you can. And I can guarantee you, God has made him to respond to your respect. Because it says right here, wives respect your husbands. He wouldn't say that if there wasn't a response that the husbands would have when their wives respect them. And you know, it's that disrespectful, that contradictory wife who's always tearing her husband down that's so difficult to see and to be with, right? I'm sure you've been with people, or you've gone out to eat with people, or family, or friends, or people at work who have that kind of relationship, right? And it's just hard sometimes just to even be with them, just to spend an evening with them. And I don't imagine there's many who, after spending an evening with a couple like this, goes home and says, you know, honey, I just want to be just like them. (laughs) I don't think so. Perhaps there are, but hopefully not. Anyway, so that's what submission is. And, you know, it's funny, because when I was was getting ready for this uh, sermon, I actually rewrote this sermon five different times because there's so much stuff in here and we can spend like a whole weekend or like a week just going through everything. But I wanted us just to get a little glimpse of what it is. And that's the glimpse of this submission that we have. And we can't, I would like to go into more depth, but just for time we can't. Because I wanted to bring up some objections to it. Because sometimes there's objections and there's, 
you know, problems with when it's acted out. So I just want to take some time and just look at just like basically two of these, and one of them is acted out in two different ways. But the very first objection is found in our society itself. They reject any system that will put a husband in authority to his wife. And we can see this all over on TV and, you know, everywhere in the culture that there's this objection to anything that God has placed in there. And in response to that, these people argue against God himself. Because it's God's design to have order through authority. Every child has a parent. Every worker has a boss. Every citizen has laws and has officers of the laws who enforce those laws. Every single society has a government um, that has authority that's built into it. And God is clear that we are to obey every authority. The Bible is crystal clear about this. Every authority we are to obey. So we're to obey. Um, we'll go into that. <laughs> um, to fight against this thought is to fight against God himself. Because God has made life, society, relationships exactly this way. The second objection, which is probably closer to home, oftentimes, is that it appears that my husband doesn't deserve respect. And yet the Bible is saying I'm to respect him. The Bible is saying I'm to submit to him. And yet it's, if you saw him, you could see that he doesn't deserve this respect. And this can be seen through a couple of different behaviors of husbands. The first husband behavior is one who abuses that authority. God has given him authority, but in its proper way. And we're going to see this when we talk to husbands. And yet he abuses this authority. He's overbearing. And his leadership is the opposite of everything that this pastor talks about. Husbands is opposite against everything that, this, that the Bible talks about, that tells a husband to do. And this person as well will frequently ask you to do things that God forbids. Whether it's an act of sin, whatever it is, you know, lying on taxes, going along with this, whatever the case is, small or, you know, or big, or it's a pastor's sin. He wants you to stop going to church. He wants you to stop praying. He wants you to stop talking to him about you know, any of these things. The Bible says that you are to obey God by submitting to your husband as much as possible. But in this case, if he asks you to sin, you are to refuse. We have an overhead from this. This is John Stott. And he makes this point very, very clear. He says this. He says, we have to be careful not to overstate this biblical teaching on authority. It does not mean that the authority of husbands and parents as masters is unlimited or that wives, children, workers are required to give unconditional obedience. No, the submission required is to God's authority that is delegated to human beings. If, therefore, they misuse their God-given authority by commanding what God forbids or forbidding what God commands, then our duty is no longer consciously to submit but consciously to refuse to do so. For to submit in such circumstances would be to disobey God. The principle is clear. We must submit right up to the point where obedience to human authority would involve disobedience to God. At that point, civil disobedience becomes our Christian duty. In order to submit to God, we have to refuse to submit to human beings. As Peter put it to the Sanhedrin, we must obey God rather than men. But this is the exception, however, 
The general rule on which the New Testament insists is humble submission to God-given authority. So you are to submit as much as you are able to. God doesn't excuse us. The excuse that God has is when they've crossed the line. And what they're asking you to do is wrong. And then you are to refuse to submit. In an attitude that I would submit if I could. An attitude that says, if you would not ask me to do that, I would be happy to submit. But what you're asking me to do is wrong, and I cannot do it. It's where we're not that doormat, right? It doesn't help your husband to let him abuse his authority. In that case, it helps him to stand up and say, no, this is wrong. This can't take place. So the other way, what's the other way that husbands um, can't be respected or appears that it does? And that's if the husband doesn't lead at all. This is another thing that we have, right? He does nothing. He comes home and he watches TV. Or he plays on the computer. Or he just ignores everyone. Your goal in this case is to submit to your husband's leading, right? That's what our goal is, to submit to our husband's leading. But if your husband simply will not lead, ask yourself this. Is it my desire, is it my desire to submit to him if he would lead? If he tried to lead tomorrow, would I support him? Would I follow him? Would I help him if he'd be willing to try tomorrow? If the answer is yes, absolutely, this is what I've been praying for, then you are obeying God. And God is pleased with you because that's your attitude. If your heart is to truly obey, if your heart is truly to let him lead, then even if he won't lead, you're still obeying God. It's only sin when you will not let your husband lead. When you take away or you undermine his authority, if he would be willing to lead. So if he's willing to lead, but you take that away, that's when it becomes a sin. Not if he uh, doesn't know how or you know, he's new or he's just not quite sure how to do, but he's trying. Then you want to come beside him and respect him and build him up. So that's the wives' piece. What about the husband's piece? What does this scripture say about husbands? And so, we begin with asking ourselves to the husbands, how do you treat your wives? Just an evaluation. How do you treat your wife? Do you speak kindly? Or are you rude and sarcastic? Are you patient? Or are you short and quick-tempered? Are you part of the family when you're at home? Or are you just irritated? And just want to be left alone. See, it's difficult for any of us to follow anyone who is cruel or overbearing. It's difficult to follow anyone who's a micromanager. It's difficult to follow someone who's just a plain jerk. <laughs> it's just as hard to follow someone who does nothing, right? To, who's someone who's a bump and log, who doesn't communicate, who's selfish, who only looks to himself. Can you imagine how hard it is for a wife to follow a husband who is like this. And you know, I believe that if husbands understood how much Christ loved the church, which is what this passage is about, and we're about to look at, if we understood how much Christ loved the church, and then we loved our wives in that same way, the wives would be much more willing to respect us. They would be much more willing to follow their husband's leading. It would be much easier for them to obey God in submitting 
to our authority that God has given us. Verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. When we look at this rest of the passage, we want to notice one thing that it does not do. It does not command husbands to rule their wives, but it tells a husband to love his wife. In fact, the the word love is mentioned six times in these few verses to the husband. And this passage goes through and it tells us a lot about Christ's love for the church. So we want to look at that right now. So it says Christ loves the church. Everything that Christ did, he did because he loved the church. And earlier in chapter 2, I can't find it. Actually, maybe it's in Philippians. Okay, so I'll just tell you what it says. It says, with the great love with which God loved us. I think that's somewhere in there, right there. And I forgot the rest of the passage. I just remember that, that piece, that verse flashed before me beforehand. But it's with the great love with which he loved us. And that's what it starts out with. So this is that love that Christ has for the church. And Christ gave himself up for the church. Jesus didn't love in thoughts only, but in action and in deeds by giving his life for us. Just think about this, right? God is or Jesus is God, and he's above everything. And he becomes this man. And he walks on this earth. And when he's on this earth, people ridicule him. People persecute him. People beat him. People kill him. And he stands for it all and allows people. He allows people who is God of everything. And in reality, no one can even ever touch him, to harm him, unless he allowed them to. And he allows them to because of his love for us. Because of his love for the church. Because by doing this, he will save us from our sins and we will spend eternity for him. That's why he does it. And this scripture is saying, husbands, think about that. Think about the love that he has. This is the love that you are to have to your wives. The passage goes on and says, why? Jesus did this. Jesus did this to sanctify the church. To sanctify means to make us holy. We know ourselves, right? We know we're not holy. We know that we're not perfect. And Christ didn't come just to love perfect, holy beings. If he did that, he could have stayed in heaven. The angels were already there. But he loves imperfect, fallen, sinful men and women. And he loves us enough to sanctify us. He loves us enough to make us holy. And he does this, it says, by, the, by cleansing the church with the washing of the water, by washing of water with the word. It's through the word that he does this. And he says he, he does it in order that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Again, this is us that he's talking about being with splendor, no spot, no wrinkle. And it says he thinks of us now as his body. Just as we can't imagine a head without a body at all being a living thing, he says he is the head and that we are the body. Verse 23 says plainly, Jesus Christ is our Savior. All the things that we went over, he did because he was our Savior. And this is what the gospel is. 1 Corinthians 15, Christ died for our sins. And God wants us to have this in mind when we view our marriages. Men, do you love your wife like that? 
Are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to sacrifice anything? Are you willing to give up anything? Are you willing to give up your life for her? This is the love that God wants you to have for your wife. And it's funny because Paul looks at men and he tries to go right to the way the man thinks or the heart thinks or whatever. And he says, you're to love your wife just as much as you love yourself. <laughs> He's like, this, this the men will understand, right? Because they naturally love themselves, right? He's like, okay, you know how you love yourself? You do anything, this is how you're supposed to love your wife. And he's just not talking to those who are, because he says you love your bodies. He's not talking about those who are just like in shape and exercise and are bodybuilders. But he's talking to everybody, right? Because we nourish and cherish our bodies, he, he says. And so if you think about that, if we think that our body needs exercise, we go out and exercise. If we think that our body wants to eat chips, drink soda, and watch TV, <laughs> we love our body, right? We eat chips, we drink soda, and we watch TV. <laughs> he says this is what we do naturally. We do those things that we want to naturally. He's like, this is how you're supposed to love your wife. God wants us to have that attitude. And he wants us to have not only that attitude, but also that action, right? Every bit of Christ's love for us was by action. He gave himself for us. He sanctified us. He washed us with the word. Our love must be in action. It says Christ loves, nourishes, and cherishes the church. Husband, you must love, nourish, and cherish your wife. God has made your wife to respond to your love. So let her see your love in words and in action. Men, do you have a clear goal where you want to lead your wives? Do you have a goal? Do you have a picture? Do you know where you want to lead your wives? Verse 26 gives us the goal for our leadership. It tells us why we are the leaders in the first place. Christ's goal was to present the church holy, without spot or blemish, sanctified to cleanse her by the washing of water with the word. And that is our goal in leading our wives. It is to lead our wives in such a way that they are holy, that they are sanctified, that they are washed with the word. It's not to lead her so she'll do whatever you want her to do, whatever you want. It's not to lord it over her. It's not to, you know, give her all the govern, all the details of, of her life. Uh, Piper and Grudem once more uh, have an overhead that says this so well about just what the goal for uh, men to lead is. It says this, He must lead in such a way that his wife is encouraged to depend on Christ and not on himself. Practically, that rules out belittling supervision and fastidious oversight. Even when acting as Christ, the husband must remember that Christ does not lead the church as his daughter, but as his wife. He is preparing her to be a fellow heir, not a servant girl. Any kind of leadership that in the name of Christ-like headship tends to foster in a wife personal immaturity or spiritual weakness or insecurity through excessive control picky supervision, or oppressive domination has missed the point of the analogy. Christ does not create that kind of wife. So that's wives, that's husbands. We're going to look at couples real quick. And I want to go back to the Trinity one more time as we look at couples. The Trinity existed from the beginning. The Trinity existed in fellowship from the beginning. They've existed in love from the beginning. When God was making man, he said, let us create man in our image. We too are created for fellowship. And first John, in the book of 1 John, says that he proclaims Christ, the eternal life, 
And he says, then your fellowship will be with us. And our fellowship is with the Father, and it's with the Son. It is designed for fellowship. God made marriage, and we need to understand, if we're going to have strong uh, marriages, why God made them. And so there's probably a million reasons why God made them. And I'm sure that we're not going to see them all and tell that we're in heaven. But we know so far from today that one of the reasons is that we are to reflect Christ and the church. We are to reflect the gospel in our lives. But if we look earlier at that, if we go back to that Genesis passage again, God made the Garden of Eden. God puts Adam in there. And then he looks and he says, it's not good for man to be alone. So I will make a helper fit for him. And God said the problem is that Adam lacked companionship. So he made a perfect companion for him. He made Eve. And with making Eve, he makes marriage. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So one of the purposes, as well as to reflect Christ in the church, is companionship and our marriages. The book of Malachi We have an overhead for this too. God is using the prophet to speak out against divorce. He's talking to these men who have been faithless to their wives. And in getting to the heart, he speaks of his wife being his companion by covenant. He says this, You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and with groaning, because he no longer regards the offerings, or he accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was a witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? Marriage involves a covenant of companionship. So one of your goals in your marriage is companionship. Life and your flesh and Satan will try as hard as they can to break that. To make you argue. To make you fight. To make you be petty. To make you spend all your life selfishly thinking about yourself and not how you can build up your spouse. But your wife or your husband is your companion by covenant. You know, I love the idea of date night. But to be honest with you, sometimes I get nervous about the idea of date night because it seems to, to limit the relationship to this one night a week, kind of that quality versus quantity thing. But if God has called us to be companions, we are to be companions all week long, not just on Friday night, but all week long. And, you know, sometimes I think the idea of, of date night, it almost puts too much pressure on that one single night. Sade has a song, and in it she says, every day is Christmas, and every night is New Year's Eve. And sometimes it seems like date night is expected to be that. You know, every date night is Christmas, and it's New Year's Eve. And, you know, over the course of 10 or 20 or 30 or 40, 50 years, we just can't keep up to that. And so just in our relationship between Mickey and I, we, we've never had a specific set date night with kids or babysitters or this or that, my schedule up and down, what I'm working. We, we could just never do it, so we never did. But we've gone to the grocery store together thousands of times. We've gone to Home Depot together thousands of times. We've just taken, you know, drives just around New Hampshire and Mass and, you know, all the New England states thousands of times. And if one of us is going to run out, even if it's just a Home Depot, which is a mile away from our house, we would say, hey, honey, I'm running out to Home Depot. Do you, want to, do you want to come with? It's that companionship. And so I say, do you have a date night? 
I think it's a great idea if, you're, if you can work it out with babysitting, with kids, and with this and that. I think it's wonderful to spend that time together as a husband and a wife. But I say more than that, just make sure that you have companionship every day and every week and every month and every year in your whole life. Have that companionship. And I believe that there are times that you need to talk about your marriage, just like the book of the, book of the month there. There's going to be um, you know, communication problems. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be these things. Some are peace takers. Some are peace fakers. We want to get that peacemaker. There's time to do that. And that's right, and that's good. You need to sit down. You need to sit down and say, where do we want to go in our marriage? Those things are good. But sometimes you just need to hang out. Sometimes you just need to spend time together. So Mickey and I have been married 25 years. We just got back from uh, California where we spent uh, some time out there. And you know what we did? We pretty much just hung out. That's pretty much what we did. We drove and drove and drove. We went to Mendocino, which is this little seaside village. We went there because Mickey's always wanted to go there. We went to see the giant redwoods. If you ever get a chance to see these things, they are just enormous. Um, because I have always wanted to see them. We went to the Monterey Bay Aquarium because we both love aquariums. Those are kind of like the big three things that we did. But most of the time, we just drove. We got in the car every single day, and we just drove. And we went up and down the Pacific Coast Highway. Lots of times, we didn't even talk. We just drove. We just spent time together. And we would point. Maybe I would point, and I would smile. Just a note for men, pointing and smiling, pointing, looking at your wife and your eyes smiling, is much different than not saying anything and just pointing. <laughs> just, I just want to make sure that there's no confusion there. When I'd point, I'd look, I'd smile, we'd point, we'd both look at the same thing and we'd do it. That's a lot different than just going, ah. <laughs> but the whole point is, uh, it's this companionship, which is part of our marriage, right? And if you have that companionship, it will be much easier for the wife to submit. It would be much easier for the husband to love their wife as Christ. And this is part of it. This is how it all goes together. So the band can uh, come up. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Men, your wife is your companion. Love her. Lead her. Spend time with her. Your marriage is a reflection of Christ and his love for the church. Women, your husband is your companion. Is your companion. Love him. Respect him. Spend time with him. Your marriage is a reflection of Christ's love for the church. Father God, we come before you now. And we just thank you, Lord. You have put order in our lives. You have put structure in our lives. You have put uh, all of these authorities in our life, Lord. And none of us are above any authority. We are just, there's people above us, Lord. There's people below us. And all of these authorities are here because if not, there would be complete chaos. There'd be a total breakdown, Lord. We could not function without this. And you and your love have placed it in there, Lord, so that we might lead quiet lives. That we might love our wives. That we might love our husbands, Lord. And so you have given us these things. And Lord, I just pray that we will 
all of our marriages, Lord, will reflect your love, Jesus, for your church, which is us, which is willing to give up the place of glory to come down to a place of humility. Lord, let us all be willing to do that. Let us husbands be the first to stand in line to give up our glory, our selfishness, our desires, Lord, to love our wives the way that you would have us. To lead our wives so that they may be strong, 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 mature women. And Lord, in Titus, you, you, you talk about how the older women, Lord, are to train the younger women. How can we have strong older women training younger women, Lord, if we don't build them up, if we don't make them strong? So Lord, let every husband, let that be his goal, to build up a strong wife, a strong woman a strong member of our church who might, who might minister to each other so that people come to her, come to this wife and just say, will you help me? I'm having struggles with my husband. I don't know how to respect him. I don't know how to love him the way I should. I don't know how, what, what to do with him. Or just anything in their lives, Lord. We have young women, Lord, who just feel alone. Let them come to women who can mentor them, Lord, and spend time with them and love them, Lord. How can we do this if we don't have strong women? Men, that's our Father, let, let our men see that. Let that be their goal. And Lord, I just pray for the women as well. Lord, help them to respect their husbands. Help them to submit. This is your, this is your way, oh God. Help them to do this, Lord. Build up men. We want strong men in our church too, Lord. And how can we have strong men in our church if they're uh, beaten down at home? So, Lord, we just pray that you'll help the wives to respect them. Help the wives to help the husbands. Lord, the husband's goal are for strong men. Our church, Lord's goal, your goal is for strong men in the church. Lord, help the women build up the husbands to respect them, to love them, to pray for them. Lord, let their attitude be, if they come up with a husband who will not lead, Lord, who just will not lead, let their attitude and their heartbeat and their cry to you, Lord, I would lead. I, would, I mean, I would follow. I would follow. I would be happy to follow, Lord, if you would just lead. Help them to lead, oh Lord. Let that be your prayer, Lord. Lord, let that be their prayer, Lord. Let our women just earn, just yearn, oh Lord, to have husbands who are leaders. My heart's desire, Lord, husbands lead. Lord, wives, build them up, encourage them, submit the way that you have designed it for us, Lord. This is my idea, Lord. This is your idea, Lord. This is your command for us, your desire for us, your wish for us, oh Lord. Make it happen in this church, we pray, oh Lord, in your precious and holy name, Jesus, who we wish to make our picture of our marriage, we picture of you and your love for us. We pray these in your name. Amen.